my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to another segment of Verse of the Day. Today's verse comes from Second uh, First Timothy, excuse me, two, five through seven, which says, For there is a one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. He says, this has, <coughs> this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. So not only is there only one not only is there one God, there is also only one mediator between God and mankind, and that is the man, Christ Jesus, who sacrificed his life as a ransom for all. So thus Paul follows an exclusive statement, which is God wants all to be saved, which is found in verse 4 which says, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It follows that inclusive statement with an exclusive one, which is only one, mediator. So a mediator means Jesus stood in the gap between God and humanity and paid the ransom or price required for our salvation by dying on the cross the righteous for the unrighteous and by paying the penalty for our sin for their sin Jesus made it possible for us to be reconciled to God this is Paul's message in his role as a herald and an apostle. As an apostle, he was sent by God to preach the good news of forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ. As a herald, he went about everywhere making initial proclam- making initial making an initial proclamation that Jesus saves, so it's akin to a town crier who announces important news to all who care to hear it. In today's Bible readings are Ruth chapter 2 through chapter 4, John chapter 4 verses 43 through 54, Psalm 105 6 uh, verses 16 through 36, and Proverbs 14 verses 26 and 27. So that concludes our verse of the day segment. We're now going to move into day 126 of our Through the Bible in One Year segment. And our focus for today is on the last part of John chapter 3, which are, which is verses 22 through 36. So yesterday we covered the first episode recorded in chapter 3, and that is Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. And now today we come to the second episode recorded in chapter 3, and that is a discussion between John the 
Jesus and John the Baptist Ministries over our lap for a brief time. The events described in John's Gospel up to this point describe the beginning of Jesus' Galilean ministry, described in the synoptic Gospels that would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So John the Baptist's final words in this Gospel appear in John, in uh, John chapter 3, verse 30. <sighs> So now we're gonna take, we're gonna start in verse 22, and we're gonna move through verse 26, which says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. So let's pause right there for just a brief minute and establish our location. So we gotta establish our location. So where is all of this taking place? So we know that Jesus was in Jerusalem at the end of chapter 2 when he cleansed the temple. And we know that he was in Jerusalem when he met with and had the discussion with Nicodemus. So now he has left the vicinity of Jerusalem and is headed into the Judean countryside which is where John had been teaching and preaching. And we're going to see tomorrow that Jesus further leaves Judea and moves back in to Galilee. So now we're going to pick up in verse 23, which says, Now John was also, now John also was baptizing at Aenon near Salem, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing. And everyone is going to him. So this section, verses 22-30, yeah, this part of chapter 3 can be divided into two sections. This is verses 22-36. So in the opening section, John, John the Baptist helped his followers understand why Jesus' ministry had to increase and his own ministry had to decrease. And that's verses 22-30. In the next section, John the Apostle reflects on why Jesus is superior to John the Baptist. That takes us from verse 31 all the way through verse 36, which is the end of chapter 3. So, some of John the Baptist's disciples and another Jew approached John the Baptist on the issue of ceremonial washings. So you have to remember part of Jewish custom was they washed before they literally did anything, eating, drinking, anything in particular, they washed. So the ensuing discussion that happened here had more to do with the success of Jesus' ministry and less to do with this ceremonial 
washing. So they asked him, what is it they said? They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. So you see, they had an argument about ceremonial washing, and they come to John the Baptist, and they tell him, Look, the one that you prophesied about, he's doing all this baptizing, everybody's going to him, and he ain't coming to you. So we're going to pick up in verse 27, and go through verse 30, which takes us to the end of this first section. So here's what, here's what we see in there. So to this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourself can testify that I said I am not the Messiah but him sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, the friend who attends the bridegroom and waits, listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. So John the Baptist was to the concerns of his followers over the growing popularity of Jesus' ministry with several thoughts. So the growth of Jesus' ministry was the result of divine providence that should be obvious. Should be obvious. So instead of being jealous over Jesus' successful ministry, they should have rejoiced in what God was doing through Jesus. So John the Baptist reminded them that he was not the Messiah, that he had already told them, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the chosen one, I'm not the anointed one, I'm the one who's going to come before that person to prepare the way. In other words, he was the forerunner. So he illustrated his relationship by Jesus by comparing it to serving as a best man at a wedding. So that's verse 29. It says, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. It is now complete. So what is John saying? So John is saying Jesus is the bridegroom and the people that Jesus came to reach are the bride. So then what is John the Baptist? John the Baptist was the bridegroom's friend or the best man whose job it is to serve the bridegroom, and when the wedding comes and takes place, he steps aside so that the bridegroom can rightfully take his place beside the bride. So John the Baptist's joy was full because of the privilege of serving the bride groom. So finally John the Baptist recognized the absolute necessity of his ministry shifting into the background as Jesus' ministry came into the foreground. That's what verse 30 means. 
statement. It says he must become greater, and I must become less. So the greatness of John the Baptist is reflected in the genuine humility of his final words in this gospel. And so, in other words, he was saying, I must become less. I must take my rightful place now as the best man, as the bridegroom's friend, as the bridegroom comes to take his bride. Beside his bride. My place is not beside the bride now that the bridegroom has come. My place is to stand beside the bridegroom and to help him along on his in his wedding of his marriage to the bride. So now we come to this last part, which is verses 31 through 36. It says, The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth, and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all, and testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. So the simple, straightforward explanation of the previous verses now expands into more abstract statements about Jesus' superiority. Right? So the straightforward answer that John the Baptist gave has now been replaced with an abstract, almost theological discussion by John the Apostle in the middle of his Gospel. And you'll notice that he does this quite often did this at the end of his big at the end of Jesus' big discussion with Nicodemus and he does this at several other key places in his gospel. <coughs> so Jesus is superior because of his heavenly origin. Because of his heavenly origin, his heavenly testimony and heavenly authority. So if you notice, Jesus came from heaven. Well, John the Baptist was of earth. So that has covered verses, verse 31, which says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. Right? Follow me there. So the words above all, which are in verse 31, which says, He tests, uh, yes, the, the one who comes from heaven is above all, right? Is Jesus superior to all things and all people? Understand that he's superior to all things and all people. You follow me so far? 
So he is uniquely qualified to reveal the Father and speak for him because he came from him. So we already established that with John 3.16. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. So his unique Son, the only the one, the only one. Jesus was one of a kind. There was never another son of the Father at all. Jesus was unique. We've already established that. Right, so those who accept his witness acknowledge its truthfulness. So what are we talking about there? <coughs> so there we're picking up in verse 33 where it says, Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. So the Apostle ends the thought that the Father has given Jesus the Spirit without limit. That's in verse 34, which says, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. Right? <coughs> so in addition, Jesus' superiority is based on the Father's love for him and his gift of all authority. So that's evidence in Colossians chapter 1. Verses 16 through 18, which say, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Right, so who is the him that he is Paul is referring to here, because this is Paul writing, this is Paul speaking. The hymn that Paul is referring to here is the Son, who is Jesus. So Paul is referring to Jesus. Paul is saying that Jesus is superior in everything, for in him all things were created. Both the things in heaven and the things on earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible. So whether they are thrones, or powers, or rulers, or authorities, right? So everything has its origin in Jesus. So John 3 concludes by contrasting those who believe and those who reject the Son. So that is, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We already talked about what eternal life is. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So the way this should, what should, what's, what, what's the takeaway here? What's the takeaway here? So what are we talking about here? You have a choice. You can reject the Son and not see life. Or you can accept the Son and believe in the Son and have eternal life. So how do you accept the Son and have eternal life? It's a very simple solution to that. 
And so how do you accept the Son and have eternal life? It was very simple. It's very simply this. Here's what you do to accept the Son. You pray a very simple prayer as this. As this. So long as you believe it in your heart when you say these words, you will have accepted the Son. You have believed in the Son. You will have accepted the Son. So you will have eternal life. As the prayer, dear God, I know that my sin has separated me from you. Thank you that Jesus Christ died in my place. I ask Jesus to forgive my sin and to come into my life. Please begin to direct my life. Thank you for giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we're going to pick up there, and we'll pick up with chapter 4, in one of the most telling and important episodes in this gospel tomorrow, and in case you haven't figured it out, we're going to be talking about Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, so come back tomorrow, because this one's going to be good, I can promise you that. It's gonna be good, it's gonna be interesting, it might be a little wrong, don't know for sure, might be, but do come back for it. And tomorrow's Bible readings are 1 Samuel 1, verse 1, through the chapter 2, verse 21, John 5, 1 through 23, Psalm 105, verses 37 through 45, and Proverbs chapter 14, verses 28 through 29.